0: Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschläger, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And we're pleased to be welcoming you to week six of our series. He gave us stories, which is based on the parables that Jesus told. And this week, we're coming to yet another very familiar, very famous parable that of the parable of the good Samaritan. I don't, Sam, you and I, a couple weeks ago, we were kind of like talking about what were the most common of them. Uh, and this has to obviously, again, be on your top five list of parables everybody's heard of.
1: Oh yeah, top three. This yeah. one, this one breaks the top three for sure. Yeah, because in terms of most famous parables,
0: because everybody's heard, you know, be a good Samaritan. You know, that's like mm-hmm. a. It's part of our. It's part of our lexicon of of uh, language culture. We mm-hmm. want you to be a good Samaritan. They make laws about being a good Samaritan. Yeah, they use they actually use that language in the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's part of our
1: vernacular even with. People who don't even know what the story is. Who don't know what a Samaritan is. Yeah, they're like
0: <laughs> – You know, it's like, yep. it's like, oh, yeah, Samaritans. Those were like those helpful guys that wore the yellow vests and walked along <laughs> the roads to help people whose donkey had broken down, right? That's the thing? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, that's it. That, no, not, <laughs> not, not, not quite so much. Uh, but uh, this is a very interesting – now, we're in Luke chapter 10, which is where this parable occurs, and this is a very interesting section in Luke's gospel. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I were talking about this for a little bit before we turned the mics on, and um, we're trying to kind of get a handle on, on on what's going on here in terms of Jesus' chronology. Um, this is very, very close to the end of his time on earth. Like he's getting ready to go – to Jerusalem, but he's going to do a number of things as part of that process. Can you maybe walk us through a little bit about what Jesus is doing here and and help us understand the, the sort of the atmosphere? Yeah, so this is
1: we learn in Luke chapter 9 uh and verse 51. So leading up to this parable it says when the days drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so this is Jesus's last journey that's going down to Judea uh before you get to Holy Week and and he celebrates Passover and he's arrested and crucified. This this is the beginning of Jesus's journey down there. And mm-hmm. and So he's setting his face toward Jerusalem, and we're told in in Luke 9, it's kind of setting you up as you're reading this through Luke. He's he's on his way to Jerusalem, and unlike all other Jews of the time, he decides that he's not going to go on the other side of the Jordan River to avoid Samaria, which was a hated – a region they hated the samaritans because they were half-breeds and when assyria first conquered the northern tribes of israel in the 700s bc so 700 years before jesus they began to interbreed with the local jewish population and so they were seen as half-breeds and sellouts and they created all these new theologies and And they were hated, so they were hated because of their race, they were hated because of their theology, and so upstanding Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans, and so they would travel around Samaria to go to Jerusalem, but Jesus says, you know, we're going through Samaria. We're going to to go into the village of the Samaritans. And in fact, he sends his apostles into the villages. And they're not well-received because as much as the Jews hate the Samaritans, the Samaritans hate the Jews. (laughs) So, you know, James and John, his disciples go into one town and the the Samaritans are like, we don't want you here. You're going to Jerusalem? You're a Jew? Get out of here. And they're furious. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Um, And Jesus has none of that, and he rebukes them for that. And so after that, at the beginning of chapter 10, so this is right before you get into the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we're told that the Lord finds 72 people, so 72 of these disciples, and he sends them ahead of him, two by two, to go into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And we don't know, it doesn't specify if they're going into the Samaritan towns or if they're going to go into towns of Judea, leaves it up to you. But what's interesting about the number 72 is in the first century. That is how many nations the Jewish people believed there were on the planet seventy two, and so I don't think that number is an accident. And I think what Jesus is saying is you know one one representing each nation on earth because the gospel is for all nations, and so he sends them. And it's interesting he tells them I don't want you to take any money, I don't want you to take any sandals, I don't want you to take anything where you would have means or be wealthy. You don't greet anyone on the road and when you go into a house I want you to preach the gospel and if they embrace you then peace is going to rest upon that house and if they tell you to get out you know then you shake the dust off your feet and you just keep moving on and right before you get to the the parable of the Good Samaritan he says let me tell you what you're going to find you're and and the Israelite towns remember all of our ministry that we've been doing up in Galilee All of those cities rejected our message. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, which are these Israelite towns. And he says, if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which are these notoriously wicked Gentile towns, he's like, man, they would have repented long ago, but the Israelites are so hard-hearted that they are not going to repent, And, and it's setting up this idea of G- Jesus is calling the Israelites out, and he's saying, you're hard-hearted, but the Gentiles are open.
0: Hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, do you think it's – well, do you think it's – I think it's interesting. Do you think it's interesting that um, only Luke mentions this sending of the 72?
1: hmm Yeah, it, it's fascinating to me. So in Matthew, he'll, he'll commission – The Sure. And he gives them power to cast out demons, and he tells them to go out. And he gives very similar instructions, and he tells them, I don't want you going into Gentile towns. Right. And so this is an earlier episode. He says, I want you to just go into the towns of Israel, and I'm glad you brought that up because – Jesus has told them initially, so the disciples have this experience of going into the Israelite towns where they, you know, some people accept it and some are just incredibly hard-hearted. Mm-hmm. And now it seems, you know, he's taken 72 representative of all the nations and he's sending them ahead of him into every village that's in front of him, which I'm assuming
0: would include, would Samaritans.
1: include Samaritans and towns from the region of Judea. sure. And it's like he's reminding them. You remember how hard it was in the Israelite towns? They were hard-hearted. But the Gentiles are embracing it ahead of the Jews. The religious people don't get it. The broken people do. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the 72 return and there's this like – kind of they're rejoicing it says in uh, chapter 10 verse 17 the 72 returned with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name the, by the way jesus the, this is another one of these marks going to ask sam a trivia question that's going to be like <laughs> i do <laughs> where this where did that come from where did this come from well because <laughs> jesus in verse 18 of chapter 10 jesus answers them in a very interesting way the 72 returned with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That, to me, is such an interesting exchange because, they. first of all, do you think that that I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? Is that Jesus talking about... When Satan fell the first time I saw it or do you think like, you know, Satan just took a nosedive, you know, <laughs> here because apparently Satan, if you go back to the book of Job, Satan was allowed to come drop in on God and accuse the brethren kind of thing, make make accusations and stuff. So he was like in and out of heaven still Um mm-hmm. What do you think you know that's just a very interesting thing for Jesus to say, yeah, so I mean when we when we imagine the fall of Satan
1: it, it who is it that casts him down it's right. it's it's God, yes. and w- what Jesus is essentially saying here is, I was there, yeah, like as part of the trinity i I was you know part of the Trinity that cast him down, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning, um I always thought it was interesting when you in the When you have Satan who's tempting Jesus, he says, cast yourself down. And it's like there's almost this memory of Satan that remembers Jesus casting him down in the Hmm. first place. And he's like, cast yourself down and see if he catches you. Um and it's like cuz he didn't God the father didn't catch me <laughs> cast yourself down and see if he catches you. I I he's, had a hard he's...
0: landing. It was a big thump at the bottom of Jesus <laughs> and I want to see what happens
1: to you here. That's what, I mean really that's kind of what what I think he's going after here. That's interesting.
0: So yeah.
1: What what Jesus is saying is like I have authority over him. I'm the one who threw him down from heaven in the beginning. I have authority over serpents and scorpions and the power over the enemy and all the satanic stuff that's in these villages, and I'm giving you specifically authority to have confidence when you go into these villages that I got you. Yeah. He's not going to harm you. Now that's not a universal promise that nothing bad's gonna happen to any of, of us ever. <laughs> no. But it's to not. them he's saying I got you here. My authority is on this. But then he says something that we can relate to, right? Right. When he says, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that you're never going to suffer in the mission I'm sending you on right now or that you're going to have authority. But he says, you should be rejoicing in something that we can share in which is that our names are written in heaven. Yeah. We are known there. Yeah. Our names matter in heaven, which is
0: stunning. It's, well, it is stunning because, you know, this is like one of those situations where Jesus says, I've given you some superpowers, but, <laughs> but that's not what's good here. What's good here is that you get to go to heaven when you die. <laughs> it's like, forget about your superpowers. You know, anybody can have superpowers. You know, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I, just think it's, which, I, I think it's interesting because he tells them, this goes back to the to the hidden treasure and the and the pearl of great value right what he's saying mm-hmm. is the kingdom of heaven is worth more than superpowers if you really wish you were superman and could shoot lasers out of your eyes and fly the kingdom of heaven is worth more than that
1: yeah and i mean honestly like if, i think if you were to offer hey your name is written in heaven versus you're going to have power over circumstances here on earth. I think there's a lot of people who are like, man, I wish I could have those powers. Yep. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. no. You don't realize like eternally your name is written in heaven. You have a spot in heaven where all wickedness, there's not going to be any animosities or enemies. the The devil will be done away with once and for all time. Like – You should rejoice that your future is a future where you won't need superpowers Yeah, because everything will be made right and just.
0: So after the 72 return rejoicing and there's this exchange that happens here, then it says in verse 23, it says, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately – so now he's speaking to his disciples like not the crowd – Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So there was a private exchange following this kind of joyous big public return, and at that moment, Mm -hmm. and behold, a lawyer stood up, (laughs) which which, – which, again, you know, okay, the, the lawyer, some, some versions call him a scribe. The idea basically is this is an expert in the Jewish law.
1: Mm-hmm. Namikos is Namikos. The, the Greek word. It's, it comes right out of the, the Greek word for law. Yeah. And so the scribes, the people who wrote down all the scriptures, were experts in what the law required. That's right. the idea. They're right. religious lawyers.
0: So this guy's an expert in the law. He says he stood up with the intention. It tells us he stood up to put him to the test. So he's thinking, "All right, Jesus, I got you here." So he stands up and says, "Teacher," which of course is funny because it, that's a symbol of respect to call somebody mm-hmm. teacher, but it's also a bit of a backhanded compliment to Jesus because they're like he's like, "Obviously, this guy is more than just a teacher." You know, at least the ones that called him rabbi You know, it's like, but to to call him teacher was kind of like, okay, yeah, you're a smart guy. I got a question for you. What (laughs) shall I do to inherit eternal life? Which I think is a fascinating question Mm -hmm. because it's like, and I'm again, I'm assuming that the lawyer's been there the whole time. I'm just kind of assuming this is one big gathering Mm -hmm. that this lawyer has heard him say, like the seventy-two come back. We're so excited. Even the demons have to listen to us. And Jesus tells them, look, I have authority over them. I've given you authority over them. Mm -hmm. But don't be excited about that. Be excited that your names are written in heaven. The lawyer hears that. This is, this is the Mark version again, Mark reading in. But I think the lawyer was there and the lawyer's like, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm picturing the sarcasm there a little bit. (laughs)
1: Well, but even beyond that, like so he says, you know, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then when he pulls them apart privately, he says, man, I'm, I'm telling you prophets and kings have desired to see what you see. And you think back to Isaiah writing about this coming Messiah and you think about David writing psalms about one greater than himself who's going to come and set things right in this everlasting throne and everything else. And Jesus is saying to them, you know, there's lots of people who desire to see that and never did, but you're seeing it. You know, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, it's here and now, and so you know he pulls them apart privately, but all of a sudden this lawyer stands up and he's like, <laughs> "You got to remember, like the 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 nomenclature and the way of talking about Messiah, Messiah just is a, a word that means anointed one. He was going to come as a king, and he was going to st- establish the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, which are all over the place in Luke and, and Matthew." And so basically what it meant was you're going to be grafted into a citizenship that is going to breathe this life of righteousness and peace into you. And that was eternal life. When we hear eternal life with modern ears, we think I get to go to heaven and I get to live forever because it's kind of what the words mean, right? Eternal life. Right but in the first century when jesus talks about eternal life it's not just you know this thing that's parenthetical after you die you get to experience eternal life no it begins now the the infusion of this heavenly pattern of righteousness and peace comes into your life now and when you receive eternal life you receive it right now mm-hmm. and so jesus is talking about how the kingdom is invading Right now, like eternal life has come, and he's like, well, well, I, "What do I have to do to get some of that?" <laughs> you yeah. know, um, and I think there probably is some sarcasm because Jesus is pretty clearly t- defining himself as Messiah, and he kind of demotes him and says, "Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" So, there's, I think you're right. There is some sarcasm here, um, but this is what the conversation's about. The yeah. kingdom
0: is here and now. Eternal life is available now. And I think that Jesus's answer could almost be taken a little bit sarcastically too, like Jesus. And I'm not, and I'm not saying the Lord is sarcastic. Forgive me if you think, been, but I am to it says He said to him, "What is written in the law? How do That's... you read it?" <laughs> well, because Feels this mildly sarcastic to me. Yeah, the guy's supposed to be an expert in the law, right? And Jesus is like, "So how do you read the law?" Um, and then I think what's what's interesting here is that the lawyer answered, and he answered you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he ans- and he said to him, Jesus answering back, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I was really struck by that when I was reading it because um, in, in uh, Mark and in Matthew, they record circumstances under which the um, this, and I think that they're probably different circumstances because the, it's like here the, the lawyer asks him a question about eternal life. And Jesus says to the lawyer, well, what does the law say? And the lawyer gives that answer. But in Matthew and Mark, there's situations where the Sadducees are trying to trip up or the Pharisees are trying to trip up Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus like flummoxes the Sadducees. And then the Pharisees go, now's our chance. We'll swoop in and confuse this Jesus dude. And they (laughs) and they come in with their questions about what's the one of them says, what's the greatest commandment? The other one is what's the first commandment. And Jesus uses these same answers. Like there's Mm -hmm. there's two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, in one instance he says, all of the law and the prophets, you know, hang on these two things. Um, so obviously, these, I guess what I'm getting at here, Sam, is that this was like a kind of a commonly known thing. It's like there's, mm-hmm. there's, it isn't like, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a thing today where it's like there's a, it's really popular to say, love God and love people, as if we've never heard that before. Hey, mm-hmm. love God, love people, that's what you got to do. And I'm like, to the Jews of that time, love God with all you have and love your neighbor, those are things that they would have known from the, From like Jump Street. Like this is a Mm -hmm. thing built into them. They know that.
1: So yeah, Shema, the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6. Every time a Jewish – an Orthodox Jewish person enters synagogue, they begin their service with reading Deuteronomy 6 known as the Shema. And in it is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and soul and strength. And so that would have been something – that's how they begin dinners. That's what's put in the little mezuzah that goes above their doorpost most often like that is one of the most famous scriptures among Jews today and all the way back into antiquity. That would have been very, very common. And then Love Your Neighbor as Yourself comes out of, of Leviticus. And so there. there's two schools of thought as to why you find these two things paired together. One is that Jesus, as he's on his circuit preaching in different towns, is repeatedly making reference to this summarizing the whole law. And so this lawyer had heard it or – There was already a school of thought because rabbis back in those days always debated the law. They were Mm -hmm. always, you know, trying to trick each other and to, you know, debate the particulars. But there was not
0: much. Not much has changed in the (laughs) world of theology, has it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Um, But anyway, so that there would have been a school of thought, and you know, uh, that was correct. And seeing this as the summary of the the whole law. Um, loving God and loving man. If you look at the Ten Commandments, when I teach the Ten Commandments or when just about anybody teaches the Ten Commandments, you notice that the first four commandments are how to love the Lord. Like what does he expect? You know, Well, there's no other gods before him, no idols. You don't use his name in vain, and and you keep the Sabbath day holy. But the last six are how you treat other people, how you treat your parents. You don't kill. You don't commit adultery. You don't steal. You don't lie. And you don't covet. And so it's how you treat God and how you treat man. And so the entirety of the Ten Commandments is how you love God and how you love your neighbor. And so Jesus simplifies it yeah. and says if you're doing this, if you're doing these two things, you've kept the whole of the law.
0: Well you think about it, I mean, I don't care what. What regulation you want to propose, it's either got to do with do you love God or do you love your fellow man? It's like that's mm-hmm. just it. I mean because all of the bad things that we might do involve us either not loving God or not loving each other. That's yeah. it. You know? This is the
1: evidence that Jesus does not like bureaucracy. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he takes you know 600-plus commandments and says, yeah, here's two. Yeah. It summarizes all of them. That's it. Moving right along. That's it. (laughs) I mean it's not that simple, but I do love the simplicity
0: of it. It is. It's absolutely – and that's why when people say – it's going to sound like I'm picking on the people that do the love God, love people – I'm not. I think that's a really, really good saying to have burned into your brain. I even like the song that Danny Goki did. I, I, I really do like that song. Love God, love people's cool song. I, I, I love the concept. I think that I'm considering getting the tattoo. Um, you know that kind of thing. So, so I'm, I'm behind it a hundred percent. But I guess what I'm saying is we shouldn't act like this is a brand new thing that's just mm-hmm. popped up here in the 21st century. This was what Jesus was getting at when He was here, and it's something that has should have been with us all this time. And if it's if it is new to you, where you been? You know, yeah. Jesus has been has been talking about this. Um, yeah, and you need the rest of the scriptures to show you how sure, to love God, sure, and to love people, sure. So, well, and explain why. You know, mm-hmm. the scriptures give us a good ans- good answers of why too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lawyer. Now, the lawyer hears this answer from Jesus, like, you've done well, you know, do this and you will live. And the lawyer's like, oh, man, because he's thinking right now, he's thinking, yeah, yeah, the way I treated those Samaritans um, oh, probably didn't love. Okay, I got it. I got it. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> Which, and I think what he's expecting at that point, is for Jesus to say, your neighbor is, you know, your fellow Israelite. Your, mm-hmm. the, you know, those of us who are of the house of Israel, the nation of Israel, that's your neighbor.
1: Mm-hmm. And even – the word does mean near. So he's expecting there's – a, there's a meaning behind it that can mean near to. Uh, so he's expecting like the neighbor is, you know, those people that are close to me and convenient and – They're like me, and no doubt. But one of the things that cracks me up is Jesus has just said, Okay, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, Desiring to justify himself, he asks about the neighbor as though he's loved God perfectly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) oh, yeah, I got that part taken care of. That's no problem. But but who is this neighbor? You know? Yeah. you know, and what's interesting is it will be the scribes, which is what this guy is. That is one of the prevalent groups that demands to crucify God in the flesh.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there's just there's a lack of humility in being like, man, I have I just don't give God what he deserves. He's he's really thinking he can earn it, yeah. and Jesus is going to start <laughs> showing him how flawed he is.
0: You know, and I think that they're lovingly, yeah. I think that there's also, uh, you know, it, it just kind of reveals how the how the wicked hearts of people work. It's mm-hmm. like we get a clear thing: love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and immediately our little wicked factory in there starts to <laughs> we're looking for a rationalization man we're pedaling as fast as we can we're we're treading water here because we're realizing we've done neither of those things right <laughs> and so what they're trying to do at this point you know he wants to justify himself certainly in his own sight mm-hmm. and maybe in God's as well so he pops out this question of and who is my neighbor and yeah. Jesus I, I
1: one of the things that that really uh, is obvious when you're talking about the wicked factory when he says who is my neighbor essentially what he's asking is who do I not have to love yeah you know it, yes. it's it yes. is the yes. human condition of what is the bare minimum i have to do to get yeah. to heaven you want me to love my neighbor okay show me who i have to love right <laughs> so i can forget about everyone else i mean yeah. that's essentially what he's after
0: yeah and number one on the hit parade of everyone else that Jews didn't love is are going to be the Samaritans, mm-hmm. which is what makes this parable that Jesus hits him with next just so incredibly powerful. Um, because he says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. Instead, he tells a story. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him. And departed, leaving him half dead. Now, uh, we've talked about this a a little bit, just in terms of you helping because you've been there, you've seen Mm -hmm. the territory. I had read in the commentaries that uh, that it was called the Bloody Way, this path Mm -hmm. from Jerusalem to Jericho, and what they had said was. That there were numerous, and this is what I put in the study notes because I was copying from the commentary. But they said that there were numerous, numerous geographical features that made it easy for bandits to hide and made it an Mm -hmm. unsafe trip. You were there, so what? What is it that makes this particular trip such a dangerous thing?
1: Yeah. So, so when you go from Jerusalem to Jericho, you're you're going eastbound. And to go there, you're going through mountains and the way, so the road, the Jericho road, it goes between these mountains, and they're steep cliffs kind of coming down hillsides that would not be walkable except they have roads kind of carved into them okay and so if you can imagine you know like driving around in North Carolina where on one side of the road you have a hill that you're not going to walk on it 's too steep, and on the other side, you have a hill going up. And you're just on this road that's kind of carved into the side of of the hill. That's a large part of the Jericho Road. So there's nowhere and to go. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. You're either going forward or backward because you can't run to the side. So you're basically pinned. And so if you're walking on this road and they see you go by and they put someone behind you to trap you that way and then the robbers come out front, you, there's nowhere for you to go unless you want to dive over the side of the cliff. And so – this was a notorious spot for thieves to hide out you know it 's not like the police were patrolling <laughs> that area. Yeah. I mean basically, what they said is if you 're going to do that, go in large groups because it 's really dangerous to go alone you 're basically begging to be robbed if you go alone yeah um, and so it was extremely dangerous it was It was relatively had a high gr- a grade going from Jerusalem, which is you know on the ridge of Israel. And it goes down to Jericho, which is right near the Dead Sea, which is the lowest spot on the face of planet Earth. It's below sea level, Mm -hmm. actually. And so you descend going from, from Jerusalem to Jericho through these mountains and canyons, and the Jericho Road was very dangerous.
0: When I was putting together the study notes for this week, that was one of the things that I kind of dealt with because we have this habit. Um, I think when I say we, I mean human beings. So just when we hear some, the story of somebody's misfortune, we want to figure out who's to blame. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like when, uh, when Jesus and his disciples encountered a man who had been blind from birth, the disciples turned to Jesus and said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? Because they needed, they wanted to know, why is this mm-hmm. guy blind? And Jesus' answer to them was, neither did, that he's blind so that – basically so that the, the glory of God could be revealed because Jesus is going to heal him. Mm-hmm. And so – but it's this human nature of like someone has to be to blame for this. So I think that would have been the first impulse. Just again, this is the Mark Lautenschlager expanded reading between the lines version of the Bible <laughs> – But I think that the lawyer, when he heard this guy went down by himself on the Jericho Road, would have been thinking, (laughs) oh, well, of course he got robbed. You know, Mm -hmm. he got what was coming to him. You don't go on the Jericho Road, you know, by yourself. And I think that Jesus kind of – because the next thing, Jesus comes in and says, now by chance a priest was going down that Mm -hmm. road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite – when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So it's like, okay, so it's like a, a Jew, a priest, and a Levite walked into a bar. No, it's not that kind <laughs> of joke. But it is, like Jesus is saying, there's three guys here that were all traveling solo. So I'm imagining Jesus saying, the point of this is not who's to blame. The point of yeah. this is not these guys were traveling solo. If that's what you're focused on, you're missing the point of this. Yeah, and the, and
1: the, the side note is, okay, let's say you do want to lay blame. It doesn't excuse you from helping, right? If if it's somebody who by their own stupidity has gotten himself into this condition,
0: I resemble that remark. I'm just going to say I've done that. There's times I've been the guy, you
1: know. Because what we want to do is, you know, well, oh, oh, they had an addiction problem. Well, then they deserve what they're getting. I'm not going to help them, right? Um, You know, we we look at people and we say, oh, if they if they deserve, if it's their action that led them into this. Tragic situation. We don't owe them help, and Jesus is going to strip that. Because by the way, we, we're never told who this man is. We're we're assuming that he's an Israelite, and I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. As he's going down, he fell in among robbers and stripped him. But if if you're one of the Levites or the priests who's going by, you don't know if this is one of the robbers who is beaten up. You know, who's left there, you don't know if it's a decoy, you don't know who he is. So it's right. just, oh, this is dangerous, and we're in a really dark alley in Chicago or Detroit, and I, I'm not pausing, Right,
0: and you just go right by. I, I mean, they, there would have been certain things about someone's dress that identified them, and I think that's why Jesus said the robbers stripped him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, would have been certain, there would have been certain things about his dress that would have said, this is an Israelite, because Israelites, yeah. men, dressed a certain way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Jesus makes Definitely point. would have identified class, how right. you were dressed. Yeah. Right. And Jesus said they stripped him. So yeah. he would have been there probably in his undergarments. They would have taken the expensive outer clothing and just, you know, maybe he was naked, I don't know, but, but we, you know. and And so then a priest and a Levite. And I think it's interesting because – um, by the way, just I, and I threw this in uh, to the study notes in case you don't know who a Levite is. A Levite is a member of the tribe of Levi who is not a, a direct descendant of Aaron. Like the, the those that were descendants of Aaron would have been the priests, but mm-hmm. the Levites were kind of like assistants. Would that be the best way to put them? They were like they were like helpers oh. to the priests. They helped around.
1: Aaron is a descendant of Levi so right. some of the Levites through the line of Aaron become priests. the the priests right. the Levites were considered like the religious teachers okay and so you know these aren't these aren't ordained ministers you know but yeah. they're like they're elders they're deacons these are these are the religious officers of the land is kind of the idea so they should and have so,
0: known that their what well, their obligation was
1: which They specifically have an obligation to take care of the needy. In Scripture, you know, these are the two classes that are that are required to be the ones who take care. In, in ancient Israel, all of the different f- tribes got allotted land, but the Levites did not get allotted any land. You won't find the land of Levi, but they were allowed to live in all the different tribes. They took up collections, and the tribes were to pay the Levites, and the Levites were to do the job of teaching ministering the priest would would go around and declare people healed or sick you know that was their job was to care for the people who were hurting so the very people who were in charge of helping the hurting walk right by yeah. and you know there's i read one commentary that was interesting where it said if the priest had been going to Jerusalem You know, and he looks down and sees somebody that's bloody and, you know, unclean and dirty and and perhaps half dead. You know, they weren't supposed to touch dead people. They weren't supposed to have anything to do with bodily fluids when they were on their way to worship at the temple, right? That would have been, you know, they wanted to – he would have had an excuse at least. Oh, I want to keep clean. But that's not what's going – he's coming away from Jerusalem. Yeah, So he should have and would have been absolutely free to offer assistance here. He had no excuse not to, Right, but he goes on the other side of the road.
0: So these are two guys that should have helped, that should have, certainly would have known that that was their responsibility to help. Mm-hmm. Um, as, and, and the lawyer who's listening to this story would have recognized that also. But then Jesus hits him with a plot twist. Verse 33, "'But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion.'" This is really the turning point of this whole story is when the Samaritan enters because – and we've talked about this in the past. uh, And so anybody that's listened to the podcast before will will have heard us talk about this in some detail at different times. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fact of the matter is that the Jewish people hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans for their part – hated the jewish people these Mm -hmm. and, and yet these were people who were related by blood the samaritans were at one time part of the 10 tribes of israel and the of the northern kingdom there and they were conquered and as you said the assyrians began this program of interbreeding and it 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 kind of created this weird mix of things where there' are mm-hmm. some Jewish blood, some Assyrian blood, they worship Yahweh, they also had a syncretic worship with some of the pagan gods of the Assyrians mm-hmm. and you know, and then they they had Mount Gerizim instead of Jerusalem and they had their own all of this so really it was race and religion that mm-hmm. separated the Jews and the Samaritans, and I found that to be so <laughs> profound because those are the big things that seem to have. Our world going at each other's throats all the time now is like it's it's mm-hmm. like it's either race or religion. It seems like are the are the two big reasons that we're divided.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you have when you have people who hold those two things out as the ultimate in importance, you'll have some of the most bitter, divisive, awful outcomes. Um, and what this calls for is is a sense of of humanity. The Samaritan passes by this poor guy who's who's unable to take care of himself right, right he's right. he's not able to walk he's beaten that badly to where you know he's he's naked he's totally vulnerable he can't walk he's he's there half dead literally and the samaritan sees beyond race and sees beyond religion and sees humanity and he has compassion on him and you know there's there's something about the way that this um the person who is Hurting is described that I think is profound. It says, you know, so it's a visitor to Jerusalem who's leaving and he's on his way home. We don't know where he's going, but he visited Jerusalem and he's on his way home. And what happens? He fell among robbers. He's been stripped. He's been beaten. He's been left for half dead, right? And that is a description that Jesus himself can relate to, right? He's mm-hmm. He is going to visit Jerusalem. Hmm. He is going to be stripped. He is going to be beaten. He is going to be left for dead. And by the way, who are the people who are going to be demanding his death? It will be the priests. Hmm. It will be the scribes, hmm. which is this lawyer. It will be the Levites who demand his death, who leave him hanging on a cross, bloodied, crippled, unable to you know, move in as humanity you'd think. And they're totally cold to him. Hmm. And 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 it's going to be the the far off, the people who are out of power who are moved by that. The religious shrug. They're cold. But here it is a Samaritan, this guy who's far off. He's the one who sees beyond hmm. the differences and shows compassion you know, I, I think this story is precious to Jesus because he knows what he's going to face. He knows mm. – Jesus, in a sense, knows he is this guy.
0: Mm. That's, a, that's a good connection. I, I hadn't thought about that before you mentioned it, but that's a good connection um, because of the very similar circumstances.
1: But think what that does to us. What Jesus yeah. is saying is when you see that guy who's stripped and naked, I was once stripped and naked. Right. Have compassion.
0: Yeah. Mm. Jesus then describes the aid that the Samaritan renders. And I was really struck by this profound also. Verse 34, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. When I thought about that, I thought about the – you know, first of all, I think that Jesus gives beautiful and very intentional parables. You know, he does not give us details that don't matter. So he's given us a detailed description here. He's telling us that the Samaritan met this man's in need for immediate medical care. This guy had been beaten. He was wounded. He was half dead. And, you know, binding his wounds and pouring on oil and wine – that was first century medicine. I know to people here you're thinking, pouring on oil and wine. Wine is alcohol. Alcohol kills germs, kills microbes. The oil also did the same thing. They would pour oil into wounds because the oil would form a layer that kept oxygen away from the the microbes, the dirt. You know, you get you get gouged and beaten and, and stabbed and stuff. The problem you have is that there's going to be an infection growing in there and the oil. By keeping the air out of it, right, the oil would help control that. So this was first century triage, medical care. This guy was meeting the immediate need the man had to have his wounds treated. And then he picks him up, gets him on his animal, which the advan- – that's like I got, him, I got him into my car <laughs> and I gave him a ride over to Holiday Inn Express, you know, uh, got us a room. That's the other thing says, you know, he, he took him to the inn. And took care of him, which meant he stayed at the inn overnight with him. that would have also been a, a Samaritan and a Jew and in a room together at an inn just was not done, and yet this Samaritan did that to make sure this guy got through the night okay and then we have on the other side of that it's a financial commitment. He goes to the guy, the innkeeper and says. Here's two denarii. That's about two days' wages. And in, in personal worship, I ask people mm-hmm. the question how much do you make in a day? Double it. That's what this man paid right off the bat was twice what he made in a day to take care of this guy, but didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to come back on the way back. I'm going to follow up. And if you spent any more in taking care of him, I will reimburse you. That's about as thorough, Sam, as any (laughs) layout. It's like the immediate need, and then we got him to safety, and then I stayed with him and made sure, personal involvement, hands-on. Then I pulled out my wallet, and I paid for his problem here, and I followed up and said, I'll take care of anything else. That's a very, very detailed and thorough description of aid.
1: Yeah, and it is—it's incredibly self-sacrificial because you got to think if you're this if you're the Samaritan, okay, you're passing by him, you look at him, and you have compassion. This place is dangerous, and yeah. so you you've just stumbled upon the place where you know they ambush people. Yes,
0: because so, there's the guy. Yeah, exactly. yeah, there's
1: the guy. So you don't know if they're like all right, you're hidden, and he stops. So he puts himself in danger, then he gets down, and he takes the time to like he notice he does this first before he throws the guy on the the donkey. yeah, why? because probably he's worried this guy's not going to make it, and so he's bandaging wounds for the sake of this guy, he's pouring on oil and wine, and then he gets off his animal, <laughs> you know, so he walks while this guy's on the animal, takes him to an end, and does what you said he he pays for everything, vows to pay for everything in the future and it's just every bit of this is he's he takes every advantage that he has and he empties himself of the advantage to give to this guy right um which is which is amazing and i mean when you think about what jesus and again <laughs> the good stuff that we see in the samaritan reminds us of somebody else obviously sure you know it's it's jesus who who doesn't pass by a humanity that is absolutely is on the verge of certain death. Like we are going to – if we don't come to him, if he doesn't come and rescue him, we fade into eternal death forever and ever and ever. And he stops and he gets off and he he empties himself of advantage and he gives us cures and he 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 brings us back to life in a sense. And it's not just that he paid for all the damage that has been done. When he claims you, he says, "I will pay the penalty for everything he will ever do." Right. Um, it's it's this unbelievable generosity that we find in the Good Samaritan that's modeled by Christ sure. toward us. So, in a sense, we are that bloodied, dead, half dead victim, you know. And Jesus not only can relate to that victim, but he also is the far greater good Samaritan um, for us. It's it's a cool story.
0: But I do think Jesus wants us to be the Samaritan also. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because that's how he closes it out. He says to the lawyer that he hits him with this question, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And at that point, I'm picturing the lawyer just swallowing. There's like a (laughs) moment there where the lawyer – because the lawyer's like, I got no wiggle room. I is play it is as clear as day who the neighbor was here and the lawyer answered the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him you go and do likewise um I, you know I I I like to say sometimes that we live in a t-shirt society it's like you be, people put a certain thing on their t-shirt and you just know what who you're dealing with? You know what? You know what camp they're in, ideologically or mm-hmm. behaviorally or whatever. We love to wear, wear those shirts that just tell the whole world this is what I'm all about. It's one of the <laughs> reasons why I don't wear them, just because I don't. I just I don't have any t-shirts with a slogan on them. I used to wear the t- a, a t-shirt that had the the something about a professional football team, but it was the Dolphins, and they're not really that anymore. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> oh, oh, the long-suffering dolphin fan joke comes out again. Um, but yeah, I did have a Zach Thomas jersey I used to wear, and I was like, oh, I remember the days when the Dolphins were like, you know, never mind. Um, but, those, but those were good days. They were good days. They were good. I, you know, I still uh, there's a part of me that wants. I, I know he's old. I know he's 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 been retired a long time. But there's part of me that wants called Dan Marino. I go, Dan, come on, Dan, you can yeah. suit up one more time, man. I know you can. Um, anyway. I'd buy that ticket. Yeah, I would too. Uh, but I don't. But other than that, I other than that, Jersey, I really don't have T-shirts with any kind of logos or, or sayings on them, just because of the fact that it's like such a one-dimensional thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted people in personal worship to be thinking about the fact that this is, you know, whatever it is on a T-shirt that makes you really mad, you you know what I'm talking about. There's mm-hmm. there's a saying. There's something on a T-shirt that when you see it, you're going to go, "Oh, great, one mm-hmm. of these guys." All right. The guy who's beaten up, he's wearing that t-shirt. The guy who you walk up and see laying on the road who needs your help, he's wearing the t-shirt that makes you go, ah, and yet still you need to help him. And that's the, you know, the message of the parable of the good Samaritan to me is that the Samaritan didn't hesitate. He, he, he understood that that the need was there and I'm going to meet the need and that kind of thing. Just as Jesus does for us. Yes, Jesus is the greater good Samaritan. But the, but the message to me, the thing like the you go and do likewise to me is because it's just really easy for me to dismiss the other side of Mm -hmm. anything. I, I just, that's my way of coping. I'm like, fine, who cares what they say? Who cares what they do? Okay. But yeah, you can say that. And yet Jesus is like, if they're in need, they are still your neighbor. Mark,
1: mm-hmm. absolutely, and that you know, being in ministry where you're required to to teach and 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 have stances on particular issues,
0: no matter what their T-shirt says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right,
1: right, right. You know, there's been times where I've had people who are in agreement with me. S- For sake of the relationship with me because I refuse to go far enough in condemning those that are my ideological adversaries. And I've had my ideological adversaries break off relationships when they find out that I hold to certain views. Right and it's like you know like we talked about earlier we've we've lost the days where there was the civic virtue of of genuine tolerance where you could hear that somebody else had a different viewpoint and you looked at them and you recognized that their humanity was more important right you know that they may have a different opinion than you but the relationship was more important than the opinion it's like we've lost those days we've talked about this before like i remember growing up where you know one of the one of the themes was you know I respect you know where you you can have a different opinion but I what is it I'd die for your right to have an opinion or
0: I think actually it was a first amendment thing it was it was um I may not agree with what you're saying but I would die to protect your right to say it
1: right and it was it was it was a heart that wanted to protect the mi- the minority position Sure. you know there was there was a heart that wanted to to do that. And I don't, I don't know that that's an exact corollary, but I can tell you that in me, there's a lot of those t shirts. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. really irk me. I could give you a few. Yeah, I could um, too. <laughs> and, it, and it does. I find myself drifting along with the culture to where when I see them, I'm like, moron, you yep. know, or in my heart, I'm like, I don't yep. like that person. And it's without ever having the chance to sit down with them, I judge them by one, one t shirt. Yep. And I create a caricature of everything they are, and everything in my flesh wants to dismiss them as unworthy of my affection, unworthy of my time, unworthy of my charity, write them off because they're on they're in the other trench. And this parable is really challenging that. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I've told this story before, but um I think it maybe it applies here a little bit again, which is Back back before I repented of my sin and stopped talking about politics on social media um, <laughs> I used to I used to jump in and give people my opinion whether they needed it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just a lovely person to encounter on social media uh, and I thought I was hundred <laughs> percent right all the time and and even if I was right i wasn 't right for the way that I said it um, but <clears throat> there's somebody that I know a, a guy that I consider to be a friend. Uh, A brother in Christ, uh, and and I consider him to be a really good guy. Like I, you know, this guy is generous. He's he's helpful. He he is immediately at the side of anybody who needs aid. You know, this salt of the earth kind of guy, right? That's and I and somebody that that if I mentioned his name, everybody listening would probably know who it is. And uh, but he has a different political view from me. And uh, you know, I did I thought I was being gentle. (laughs) <laughs> you know, or or kind of like not being mean or whatever. But I commented on a few of his posts and he sends, he come sent me a message and says, you know, the only time I ever hear anything from you is when you want to argue with me about politics. And I thought to myself,
1: Dope.
0: yeah, that's what I thought. And I thought to myself, you know, my relationship with this man matters more to me than his politics or my politics. And so I... I made a point of from that point on of just paying attention to when he when he posts something, pictures with the family, gone on a holiday, some life achievement. To just as I would with anybody, you know, compliment him. Man, looks you, you know looks like he has had a great time. So cool to see the family together. You know, really che- that that kind of stuff. The things that I think social media is good at, which is us trying to be nice to one another. Um, and that's been, by the way, my motto on social media. The closest thing I've come to a political statement and an antagonistic statement of late has been the time that I really jumped on people that didn't like Tim Tebow. I'm like, that's the line you can't cross <laughs> with me. If you're going to like say bad things about Tebow, you and I are not going to be friends on social media anymore because that's God's man, all right? Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's allowed. That's it allowed. is allowed. Uh, but the point is that uh, that I made a deliberate decision. I when he said that to me i felt convicted of my sin which is i was putting politics ahead of relationship and and that was a turning point for me both with he and i cuz you know i've i've not I, he still puts politics up there every so often and i'm like i just let it go keep scrolling mm-hmm. you know but i never miss an opportunity to tell him Man, it looks like you guys had a great time, you know, water was great, you know, looks like you had a lot of fun. Hope it was a good trip, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff, or or whatever. Whatever it is, you know, congratulations on your promotion or whatever. Um, because I want him to know that I care about him and I respect him and he's my friend. And it doesn't matter that he votes one way and I'm gonna vote another. That doesn't matter. That you know, or it shouldn't matter. Um and and not above humanity. Not above humanity. Um, yeah, and I, I'm somebody.
1: I got strong opinions, as you know. <laughs>
0: yes, you and I <laughs> and, have clashed heads many times about yeah, that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, one of the things is is if you make everything the ultimate, and humanity takes a backseat, and humility is dismissed, right. and everybody retreats to their own echo chambers and their own trenches, and you never. Ever get to do life with somebody of the competing view there 's only one way that story ends, yeah, you know it's and it's the longer it goes on, the more you 're convinced that everybody on the other side of the ideological spectrum is evil and they deserve to burn in hell and we hate them and whatever. but I love what Jesus does here when when in Acts the last words that he is going to leave with his church before he ascends into heaven. Um, When in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the starting point. And then he he does something that I I never noticed until recently. He says, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, that's really bizarre the way he does that because Jerusalem, that makes sense. That's where the capital city is, right? Right. That, That is the capital city, and Judea is the territory in which Jerusalem is. But he says Judea and Samaria. And it's not like that's a progression because Samaria is a different territory. There's a whole bunch of territories around Judea. He could have said, you know, Judea and Idumea or Judea and Perea or Judea and Syria. But he doesn't. He goes and he says, You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And it's like he's telling his people, You have to go to the other person's camp. Yeah. you are if you're just every bit as important as Judea is, you go to Samaria too, and these are his last words, and to the ends of the earth, there's no tribe that's so far gone that you can't go to, and we're quick, man, when we think and i'm I'm speaking of my own process of conviction that's continually having to be crucified right, where like if I think of you know evangelizing Afghanistan or Iran or China or some other thing where their ideological positions are egregious in a lot of ways to what i believe i would i'd be thrilled to think of taking the gospel to them and befriending them but people in my own neighborhood and my own city you know we tend to go you believe what yeah. you're the enemy
0: yeah.
1: um and jesus just did not want that that's hard for people that doesn't mean that you compromise your values i have strong opinions sure <laughs> and if they're rooted in scripture they're not going anywhere but I value the person that's yeah. that's what I have to work on it's valuing the person to where I don't define them by an ideology and then dismiss them as evil
0: i gave a lot of lip service to the fact that the kingdom of god was the most important kingdom to me it was more important than any kingdom of man more important than my identity as an american more important as my identity as whatever i whatever i've ever been called you know it's like i i used to tell people that i was proud to register to vote for reagan you know when ronald i, I it was the first president i voted for i was a, I was like a you ronald reagan could do no wrong in my mind and he did wrong and he did good and it was he gave great speeches and i don't know on balance of it i i really liked him as a president but my point I miss was him. yeah <laughs> but my but my point being that um whatever identity I used to hang on myself I used to say that my the the identity that mattered most was that I'm a follower of Christ I'm a, I, you know I'm a member of the I'm part of the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God and that's my that's the most important thing and yet I didn't live that way mm-hmm. I, I lived as though that was sort of you know it was it was important Sam it was peripherally there it was there but I allowed too many things from the other kingdoms to jump in front mm-hmm And that's the part where I have been, as I I use the phrase convicted of my sin, and I think that's a a true statement. I have been convicted of my lack of humility, my lack of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I am not as humble as I need to be. And that's an ongoing need to die to myself constantly, and to constantly take that position of humility. And the best example of that is that greater Good Samaritan. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everything about Jesus tells me that he was somebody who gave it all up mm-hmm. for the for the importance of the people that he had come to save.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's nobody on planet Earth ever who has hated sin more than Jesus. Nobody. Hated, hated it enough to go to a cross and die to defeat it. Yep. And yet… Jesus never came to somebody who had the, you know, like the Samaritans. They had wrong theology. That didn't prevent him from loving them. He had, you know, political adversaries that were all over the map around him. That didn't keep him from pursuing them. Um, and so there's there's this humanity that Jesus recognized, and he's pursuing them and me at the expense of his own life. And, you know, there's there's a... There's a wake up call that parables like this send us that's you know, if if Jesus, who is the only one who's ever existed on planet earth who had the right, who lived the righteous life, who's God who to whom we owe all things and have fallen short, if there's anybody who had the right to write another person off, it was him. Right. But instead he pursued me. When I was his ideological adversary, when I was sinning, when I was yep. spitting in his face and defiling his kingdom and, and making his world an uglier place, he died for me. He came after me. And he not only said, I'm paying everything for what has already happened to make you mine, I'll pay for everything you ever will do. I'll be the one who bandages you and brings you back to life, and I will pay the, pen, the, the cost for you to be well And to have eternal life, I will bear it. And so if Jesus does that for me, what right do I have to withhold that same kind of compassion and and view of humanity toward those who've offended me far less than I've offended him? Yeah.
0: The greater good Samaritan indeed. Well, that is a good word. And I think it is the. I think that is the core message of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So why don't we uh, why don't we let it stand on that, folks? We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. That it's been profitable for you. Um, this has been a good series. I've really enjoyed uh, going through these parables. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Um, If you'd like to keep up with the messages that are being preached on Sunday mornings, which go along with these podcasts, and they all work hand-in-hand with our personal worship, we put out the study notes, Uh, Sam and I do the podcast, then somebody will preach on Sunday morning. You can find all of those resources at our website at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O. VistaChurch.com. You can sign up there for personal worship. You can get the, uh, you can find the messages in our sermon library. And of course, all of the podcasts are there as well at RioVistaChurch.com slash out of water. Uh, you could also find out of water on Apple podcasts, on Google podcasts, and on Spotify, as well as in our free Rio Vista Church smartphone app where you could also find, by the way, personal worship and the messages. So you see how that all comes together in the perfect storm there. Uh, but we do encourage you to follow along with all parts of that because it really is sort of a holistic effort to kind of give you uh, some really, you know, an opportunity to really kind of sit in with this passage for the, for the whole week and, and have a time to really think about it and then come with your hearts ready and prepared to hear the words preached on Sunday morning. So do take advantage of that. Uh, Sam and I will be back next week with another in the series. He gave us stories, uh, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, slash. Out of Water